21CL Radio. Welcome to the Education Vanguard, where the 21st Century Learning International Radio team interviews educational leaders of today. Hey everybody, Michael here. I'm really excited to present this interview to you today with John Nash. John Nash is an Associate Professor of Educational Leadership Studies at the University of Kentucky. and He's the founder of the Laboratory on Design Thinking in Education and a director of the Center for Advanced Study, Technology Leadership in Education, both housed at the University of Kentucky. I love talking about design thinking in a lot of ways because it's just so darn new to me, and therefore it's so incredibly interesting to me. Uh, why do we put up with bad design? Well, co-host Jamie Willett, that's one of the things she asked right away, and that helps frame the whole discussion and gives us a background of a bit on John's skills and area of expertise. Basically, in a lot of ways, he talks about empathy, empathy, and more empathy. Really, is what I thought. Is that part of design? After listening to John Nash, I now know that it is. Of course, this never occurred to me much in the past, but it probably should have. Furthermore, Many school designs are basically set up for a command and control structure and less of an empathetic view, I could say, toward those we are serving. The box-like configuration of schools does not serve our students' needs in the ways that it should. Uh, John finishes up by letting us know just how much empowerment and excitement educators like us can feel when we have influence over the design of everything, starting from the school buildings to the daily operations of the school. This interview was recorded live at the 7th Annual 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong. Enjoy. So in your talk, uh, you mentioned, that, uh, you asked the question, why do we put up with bad design? And I was wondering, why do you think we put up with bad design? <laughs> That's a great question. Let's, think, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, well. Looking at, so the images that I put up when I was talking about that notion were classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, and there's discussions today as to whether or not that formulation of, of placement of desks is the best and op most optimal way to have students learn. Uh, and yet we still put up with that mm -hmm. um, because it's, uh, it's an easy model to grasp, it's traditional, mm -hmm. um, it comes out of a uh, history of having always done it that way uh, with other institutions that operate in similar ways, you know, with um, churches are in pews or in rows and uh, prisons are, you know, very orderly and things, you know, just it, it, it facilitates the flow of people in and out. Uh, and so uh, I think that's part of it. I think also the reason why we put up with less than optimal design is because most people don't feel like they're empowered to say anything about changing it. So, you know, then you kind of went on to talk about the fact that if someone had traveled back in time, exactly what you just said, if they went to a hospital, they'd have no idea what this place was and how it worked, whereas the classroom, they, oh, this is a classroom. Um, and so, have you seen examples of maybe what a better design would look like um, or could kind of give some ideas of your own thoughts of what might be some ways we could modify the way we've been doing the same old, same old. Right. I, I think, yeah, I've seen some really interesting designs for thinking about how space could optimize the learning experience. And the ones that, from my, from my experience, seem to be most effective are the ones that were uh, sensitive to the users in that space. And so we're 
designed with a, an eye towards a human-centered approach. So thinking about those users and their needs. What, what is it that you want to accomplish in the space? What do you want to have users do? And then let the affordances of the space support that instead of what has tended to happen over time, which is uh, pigeonholing the human being into the space in an inflexible space and forcing them to do their best in that space, which is not always optimal. you said the teachers need to be up and out so I was thinking are my teachers up and out what would your ideal up and out teacher look like how would they know I'm doing the right up and out thing right now how would a teacher know if yeah they were, how, would, uh, how would they know they would know <laughs> they would know it when they had been surprised by what they had seen uh, while they were up and out so uh, a teacher that's up and out, a school head that's up and out, uh, is, are inside spaces that they don't normally uh, travel in. They're inside spaces that they don't belong in. Um, they are uh, observing others uh, to get to know the way they behave, act, believe, feel. They're shadowing students. They're shadowing colleagues. So the teacher is following the school head around. The school head is following the teacher around. The tech support folks are following students around. Uh, they're up and they're out and they're understanding each other's lives in ways that help them think about how to provide services and supports that are meaningful to them because they understand them better because they're able to be with them more. So design is so important. I think we can all agree, but in some ways, good design is counterintuitive. Why as humans do we put ourselves in boxes and ourselves in spaces that aren't designed very well for us? Why don't we automatically think, gosh, we should build a different, better place? Why do we need design uh, professors? Why don't we just know this already? What's wrong with us? Um, that's a great question. I think part of it might be related to just a, a level of obedience, too, particularly in schools. I think, I mean, in the private sector, we see a lot of uh, sensitivity towards design, uh, particularly when there's a bottom line uh, involved. And so um, companies are very interested in, there's a reason why, if I can reach into my pocket, but I mean, there's a reason why I love my iPhone, but I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I can't really articulate it so well, but it's a, it's a latent need that Apple has figured out that I, I love and need. Um, the reason why we don't say more about, say, the schooling situation is, it's also a very, it's a sort of a command and control culture. So uh, people aren't speaking up because they're against, similar to the question we said a minute ago, is that they're not uh, given permission to, to say anything about it. So in a sense, a school is actually designed well. It's designed for a command and control structure yes. by the people who want control. Yeah. And want to be able to command. Precisely. Yes, it's designed very well to do that very well. Yeah. <laughs> and so your contention is that maybe that isn't what we should be doing, <laughs> kind of? Well, yeah, right. I mean, so is it, is it as humanistic as it could be? Mm -hmm. And so the, at the root of every good uh, human-centered design approach, at the root of design thinking, if you're empathetic towards those that you are serving, mm -hmm. then you're able to provide uh, services, curriculum, culture, that meets their needs. When people have their needs met, then they're surprised and delighted. When people are surprised and delighted, then they stick around. They want to be part of the culture. Right. So what you're 
talking about is developing a sense of empathy, a sense of um, intuitive knowledge of uh, what the needs of others. And that sounds to me like good teaching. That's what we're supposed to be doing is training our kids to do that. And yet most schools, uh, we don't have per se a design program and if we do it's usually a small class in high school where they're being trained how to you know create a space or create an idea um, but in an, at particularly elementary we may not you know make a poster but we're not going to tell you how or how to make sure it meets the needs of your audience or just looking for content um, would do you suggest we need to put more of that into what we're doing more more teaching that empathetic oh. resonance or that idea of that um, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, and while, so my, while my focus has been around thinking about design thinking as a lens for leadership and how leaders could use it to look through, uh, a, a, let me start again on that. I think that thinking about design thinking as a lens for leadership so that leaders can frame problems of reform more empathetically, mm -hmm. then uh, if we're able to do that, then the the situation in which we have new opportunities arise, we'll know better if they're suitable for the, the audience that, that's in that school community. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned this idea of empathetic resonance. Um, can you yeah. uh, I, I limbic, unpack that and explain it? Or, limbic resonance. Limbic resonance, yeah. resonance which is mm -hmm. empathy. Is that, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So limbic resonance is the... Uh, is this, this is almost the superpower that humans possess, mm -hmm. which gives them the ability to sense the inner emotional world of others. So even without speaking uh, or uh, talking to another, just by reading their face, looking at their eyes, um, interpreting a gesture, you're able to sense what that person is feeling and uh, what their inner thoughts are, might be like. And it's a power that uh, many mammals have, but it's most advanced in humans. Um, in relation to limbic resonance, you mentioned the fight between limbic and neocortex region of the brain. And I thought that I don't feel like our, the student body knows enough about this, that they're not raised enough awareness that teachers are also humans and they're doing what the what the brain dictates. So do you feel like this type of knowledge is being applied enough to student bodies, or what are your opinions on that? I don't believe that enough attention is paid to helping students understand what the different regions of their brains do and what role they play in the way they think and act. I think in uh, the school culture we have today, which is more and more competitive, more and more rooted around uh, high-stakes testing and uh, the uh, rote memorization of knowledge, the regurgitation of information in a um, clinical kind of sense provides a situation where we're not able to emphasize issues that are more related to where the limbic brain could come in and make a, make a, a difference in the way one thinks. So, uh, as I noted in my talk, the, what will happen is that we're, we're enamored with the great things that we can do with our brain. Why wouldn't we be? I mean, look at this building we're in. Look at the tremendous uh, harbor that has been built. The buildings around us, they're very interesting to us. And they're all thanks to our neocortex. And so uh, being able to sort of talk ourselves out of 
listening to that so heavily and really listening to our heart, if you will, then uh, that's what I'm interested in having us do more of. So what exciting positive design changes do you see or seen examples of that you'd like to share with us so we'll feel like this is just going to be so awesome? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm seeing opportunities where uh, teachers and students who are thinking about using design thinking to create changes in their schools, when they do so, they're imbued with this sense of optimism about they have agency and, uh, and power over their environment. Um, so we've seen examples uh, in my region where uh, this has been used to take on mundane topics like the school schedule. But uh, as mundane as that sounds, uh, a school schedule for a high school of 1,800 students is not a uh, trivial thing to change. And, and, so, and, is, and, our, and the decisions around how a school schedule gets uh, maintained or even shifted is generally made in a, in a, in a district office or in a, in a closed room with a school head and other administrators. And rarely are the people that are most affected by the schedule consulted on how it should look. And so we've been working with some schools to think about how they could use design thinking to work with students to um, limbically resonate with those that are most affected by the schedule to come up with better ways to run the day so that it meets the needs of students, meets the needs of teachers, and meets the needs of the community. Wow, so you've, you've mentioned that you know this school has managed to do it and you've talked about that the biggest resistance to change is probably money. Um, are there other or things you think maybe are more the problem for why more schools aren't doing these amazing things? Yeah, I think that actually money may not be the biggest barrier to, to change and it's probably somewhat akin to thinking about what the culture is like in the school. So you can you can engage in a design thinking process to come up with innovative prototypes that really meet the needs of the people in the school. Uh, and you can put those in place, but if you don't have a change management strategy to make sure that it can be implemented and taken to scale, the best prototypes will fall flat. And so uh, if you, can, you can spend time, you can spend several weeks as a, as a group, as a design team working things through. But after that design team disbands and after they've got the prototype they're ready to move on, if the school culture is not ready to put that in place, then it's liable to just fall flat. In your presentation, you discussed the difference between planners and searchers. If there would be a few tips or practical guidance for those, um, for those planners who are yearning to be searchers, what would it be? <laughs> The practical advice I have for planners who are yearning to be searchers would be to trust your gut with regard to the people around you, the, the students around you, the parents around you, the people who ordinarily aren't part of the conversation in a change approach. They actually have very good and innovative ideas that you'll never think of that are probably better than the ones you think are the best. And if you just give it a chance and let them suggest their own ideas, you might find that they're ones that you'll never have thought of before and it could be actually the ones you want to use. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>